Please join with me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Gracious, gift-giving God, we come eager and ready to receive. We welcome your gifts and strive to accept with humble hearts all you offer. Reveal to us where you already are, what work you have already done, and where you are inviting us to simply receive. We open our hearts, minds, and lives to your truth revealed in Holy Scripture. Amen. Our message today comes from Luke chapter 4, 16 through 21. Hear these words. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the congregation synagogue were fixed on him. <laughs> then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of God for the people of God. So um, how many of you grew up in a small town? I, I mean like under 500 small town. Oh, that really cut everybody out. Okay, so but small town, right? How many grew up in small town? I take away my population restriction. Yeah. So, so growing up in a small town has great aspects to it, right? Everybody knows everyone, right? Can I get an amen? amen. And that's pretty cool because when you go to the grocery store, you're always going to find a new friend to talk to, somebody to, right? But there's a downside because everybody knows everyone, right? And so when people find out your last name, they now think they know your whole family history, right? And, and when you end up going at midnight um, to the grocery store uh, to get baby formula and you happen to pick up a bottle of wine, they all know that it's a rough night at your house, right? <laughs> Small towns. Small towns have their positives, right? Um, in a small town, when something doesn't go well, the neighbors come out to help, right? Um, when something goes wrong, um, you know, every time I go through a, a small town, maybe headed uh, in, uh, up into East Texas to see my in-laws in Longview, which is not a small town, um, uh, you know, you always go through the gas station and there's always a benefit. Um, there's always somebody uh, raising money for someone who's been diagnosed with a difficult disease, right? In a small town, neighbors get together and they take care of each other. Now, in a small town, neighbors can be nosy too, right? Is, but, but they're helpful, but they're nosy. <laughs> um, in a small town, you find mentors, the teachers seem to really invest in the kids. It's a really powerful opportunity. Now also in a small town, there tends to be a legacy tradition, right? 
you know, the current quarterback just happens to be the son of the last quarterback that took them to state and don't try to be the quarterback because it's almost like there's an, uh, um, what is it, a coronation, right? And no laughter on that. Jesus was from a small town. Nazareth, at the time that Jesus was alive, probably had about 400 people in it. That's a small town. I mean, that is um, Norman G. Texas small. Anybody been up I-45 and headed through Norman G., right? Um, it, it, to stop in Norman G. for gas, it means you had to consciously go against um, your heritage as a Lake Jackson person and not go to the Bucky's, right, that's before it. Anyways, um, 400 to 500, that's small. That's Alba, Texas small. And if you don't know where Alba, Texas is, I can tell you where it is because I could be appointed there. There's a Methodist church there, right? 400 to 500. Uh, to get a little bit closer uh, in, into Brazoria County, that's Damon, Texas small. Now I feel bad because like Damon has like a reputation, right? Like when I was like, there are only 400? But like, I mean, you get barbecue, you get Western wear, you know what I mean? Like I feel like when you drive through Damon, they're twice as big. Um, anyways, Nazareth, small town. Remember, in a small town, everybody knows you, right? So as Jesus grows up, he's known, right, first of all, as the carpenter's son. That's what his dad did. That was the trade that he probably learned. Um, but also, everybody knows everybody. Yeah, what was that whole thing with the angel and the uh, pregnant before the marriage, right? There's probably a little scandal that comes with Jesus and his family name. Also, isn't your cousin, that preacher guy that's out, you know, wearing camel hair and eating locusts and honey, right? I mean, when you're part of a family, you get all the good and you get all the bad all wrapped up together. Nazareth was a small town. Now, as Jesus becomes an adult, he moves out of Nazareth and heads to Capernaum, now, don't ask me how big Capernaum is. I used all my research time on Nazareth. Um, but much like many of our kids, as they grow up and become old, they move away. And when they come back, it's a celebration. So when Jesus comes back to read in the synagogue, it is a hometown boy who's done good. And so when they come back, uh, the synagogue, I know we tend to think mostly about Jewish worship being in the temple, but... After Babylon, uh, the Babylonians uh, conquered uh, Israel, they scattered um, the Jews. Um, it was uh, later that they came back and rebuilt the temple. Um, uh, during that time of scattering, uh, local communities would establish synagogues, which were like smaller churches. Um, and in those synagogues, there weren't any professional clergy. There was no like, you know, rabbi who has, you know, minted seminary degree. Um, there was a president of the synagogue, which the best that I can understand is kind of like the president of the PTO. You got some power and you got a lot of responsibility and maybe not a lot of perks, right? So the president of the synagogue gets to invite people to come and read from the scriptures for that day and then also to comment or teach upon them. So if Jesus has come back into town to visit his mom and dad, the president of the synagogue is probably pretty smart to say, hey, Jesus, we know you. Come and read the scriptures. 
So setting up our scripture passage today, Jesus comes to the synagogue. He has been invited to read. Um, Most scholars think he picked his own scripture here because we tend to think of it as an Isaiah passage, a prophetic passage, Um, but he's um, kind of, he's made his own Isaiah passage. It's kind of like the greatest hits of Isaiah kind of pushed together. And um, the scripted or the the scheduled reading would have been from the law. So he read what he was supposed to read, and then he got to pick which prophet he'd uh, read from. And so he reads from Isaiah. And he opens the scroll, and he finds the place where he wants to read from, and he reads and adds in as he goes, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressors go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, if we were here, that's when we would all say, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The end of the scripture reading. Now, in the synagogue, you stood to read and you sat to teach. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the acolyte attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Maybe because he's a new teacher coming in. Maybe because um, often scripture describes Jesus when he teaches, he teaches like none other. He teaches as one who has authority. Or it could be just, you know, the small town excitement of Mary and Joseph's boy is reading in the synagogue today. But all the eyes were upon him. And then he sat and said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, that's probably the shortest sermon uh, ever preached. And it also seems to have been the most divisive sermon ever preached. Now, um, Isaiah, the prophet that he reads from, uh, remember, when, when you're dealing with prophets, it ain't good, right? A prophet doesn't show up to say, woohoo, y'all have done wonderful. We're going to give you extra gold stars for Jesus. No, a prophet shows up when people have wandered away from the truth. A prophet shows up to give message of judgment, of punishment, of an opportunity to change one's behavior. So here Isaiah is saying, yeah, Babylon, the Babylonians have conquered you, scattered you, um, raised the temple, but you need to know that there's coming a time when all will set free. There's coming a person who will bring God's reign. There is coming someone who will make all things new. And so Jesus has just read this passage that's talking about this great, hopeful time. Thank you, choir, for bringing us hope. And he sits down, and he starts the sermon by saying, today, I'm it. By saying, today, I'm the guy. By saying, today, I bring good news of great joy. I bring to you freedom, 
transformation and change. Now, how do you think his sermon was received? You want to read 20, verses 22 to 30 later, but I'll give you the, sort, the shorthand. He also goes on past our passage here and talks about how not only for Methodists have I come to set people free, right, not only for Jews, but for Baptists, I mean, uh, Gentiles too. <laughs> now, let's do a little bit of remembering, right? Um, in the Aramaic, which would be the language spoken in Jesus' day, the word for Gentiles, Gentiles were people who were not Jews, um, not by blood, by birth, um, not by practice, right? That those who were not pure Jews, they were Gentiles. They were everybody else. Um, and the Aramaic word was goyim. And, and goyim is a hard word to translate in the Aramaic. Um, but it's essentially dirty, trash, or worthless. And so when Jesus says, not only will the blind be given sight and the prisoner set free, and not only am I the guy that's brought it, but it's also true for the neighbors that you don't like. It's also true for those people that you call um, trash or dirty. And that's really what polarizes the moment, and the people of Nazareth, who celebrated the good son come home, drive him out of the synagogue, drive him out to the edge of town, and drive him up to a cliff that quite often um, uh, pig, uh, pigs and, and livestock would be driven over to fall to their death. Probably not the best reception for a first sermon but it's the moment when Jesus announces his ministry. He announces his ministry in the synagogue because his parents brought him since he was a little boy. He followed the circumcision and purification and dedication rites. And in fact, just earlier in this chapter, when tempted by the devil, what does Jesus say? He doesn't say, leave me alone, you're bugging me. He says, it is written. And in a um, kind of pre-literate society, the, boy, the, the carpenter's boy would have memorized those words. He would have memorized what he learned in synagogue. He would have memorized what he had heard read regularly by the leaders of his community, and he had internalized it. And that's how um, he quotes Deuteronomy back to the devil, right? Which um, I love to think that I'm a really good Christian, but I might have a hard time quoting Deuteronomy um, to y'all, much less to the devil, but to think about how he's been well-formed for that moment. So when he sits down and says, today, today this scripture has been fulfilled, I want you to think about what does that mean? Uh, you know, let's, let's apply back to the scripture that he's read. He says, today the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Today I bring good news to the poor. Today I proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. Today I let the oppressed go free. So to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, today, it all sets into motion. Now, um, what is he saying sets into motion? Well, he's saying that the promise that started back in Genesis with Abraham, or Abram before he agreed, and then became Abraham, that that promise is being fulfilled today. 
What does it mean to be set free? Um, I think we um, are challenged um, sometimes in America. I love being an American. I love the freedoms that we enjoy. I love all of that. But, um, but sometimes our freedom um, can mask some things that we are captured by. You know, um, captured by keeping up with the Joneses. Captured by having to meet everyone's expectations even when they're unspoken. Captured by... Um, the guilt and shame of either our own actions or the actions of our family. We are captured by those things. Uh, um, when Jesus says, I've come to set the captives free, most likely in his day and time, you went to jail if you had a debt that you couldn't pay. All right, so it's a debtor's prison. And you stayed in prison until your family gathered up the money to pay off the debt so that you could be free. Jesus is that brother who's gathered the money together, who's come to the prison to set us free. I mean, if you did something worse than having um, a debt, um, they'd just stone you. I mean, they didn't really have a prison population problem uh, back in those days. But Jesus comes to set us free. I, again, I want to say that it's hard for us to think, how much more free can we be? How much more free can we be? We live in, um, you know, one of the most powerful economies. We um, have the most uh, human rights, the most freedom and opportunity, even to select our own leaders. We seem really free. When Jesus says that he comes to uh, tell the good news to the poor, there's a recognition that not everybody is just financially poor, but that throughout the Gospel of Luke, he preaches and teaches to people who are clearly spiritually if you go to the Gospel of John, right, Nicodemus, who is in charge of all the rabbis in Jerusalem, shows up by night, because he was ashamed, uh, to ask Jesus just again, how do you get born again? Do I have to climb up into my mother's womb? And, and Jesus says, you're supposed to know this stuff. Somebody who's spiritually poor. So I think it's helpful to find a few illustrations outside um, of our um, American experience, just to kind of key in to what type of freedom is Jesus sent to bring us? And so um, Archbishop, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who was in charge of the church in South Africa during apartheid, a church in hiding in most ways of thinking about it, and who um, came to prominence um, with um, uh, uh, Nelson Mandela and the overturning of apartheid, um, he wrote about um, freedom um, he, he said it's really hard um, to be free when you live in a society that requires you to have your papers with you before you leave your house. And so that moment, yes, you might be free, but if you have to remember, do I have my permit with me? He says freedom's hard, especially when you're not part of that majority, because it's hard to feel free when you walk past um, a playground with your daughter and your daughter says, I want to go play. And you say, no, you can't. And, and your daughter says, do we not have time? And you say, no, we have time. And your daughter says, why can't I go play? There are children over there. And you have to find words to say, they are children, but not children like you. That freedom is hard when we are restricted. Freedom is hard when there are places and spaces where we cannot go. Freedom is a challenge. 
Josh McDowell told a story that I read way back when I was in college, and it still makes a difference to me. That when training an elephant, a circus elephant, um, you might find uh, that they are tied down by a loose bicycle chain. And you think, I know enough about physics. That elephant is not going to be kept by that weak chain. The reality is, is that um, the uh, bicycle elephant was trained first um, with a huge link metal chain cuffed around the front leg, and that that chain would be staked to the floor, and that elephant could only go so far. And for most of its formative years as it's growing up, it is always linked to the chain until eventually, so many years in, they remove the chain, they even unstake the chain and replace it with just a cuff that may be as light as a bicycle chain. But the elephant remembers. The elephant remembers that it couldn't walk further from there, that it doesn't ever move further from the stake than it originally was chained to. Its memory provides the walls and restriction so that it never rears its head in freedom again. I feel like as an American church that we are docile, that we are predictable, that we, we know where we need to be, where we need to sit, what we need to do. We know the traditions of what's been. But Jesus comes to set us free. Jesus comes to set us free from expectations, free from our guilt and our shame, free from whatever we thought kept us from fully living a redeemed life. And on top of that, Jesus frees us for a reason. The reason is to tell others about this gift of freedom, to be able to listen to others and to tell them that Jesus loves you no matter what's happened, that Jesus loves you and forgives you no matter who you thought your family was, no matter what you thought you did to not measure up that Jesus comes to set us all free. What's interesting is that um, the longer that we are part of a church, the less opportunity we have to tell others about Jesus. Is, is it right? Because like before we were, you know, we were footloose and fancy free, and then we joined the church and we started meeting all these great friends and learning about the Bible and surrounding ourselves with these better, virtuous, more wonderful friends, and we start not doing the things we used to do. And our witness can get squished. I still find it fascinating that I can meet people out and about who don't know I'm a pastor. They ask me, what do I do for a living? And I say, I'm a pastor. And they say, well, what kind of church are you a pastor of? And I'll say, well, I don't know. What are you trying to talk about? I mean, like, we love Jesus and we read the Bible and we decorate for Christmas, right? They say, no, can somebody who's divorced join your church? I'm like, are we stuck in the 1960s? Yes, they can. Can someone who um, is a single mother, unwed, without a husband join? Yes, right? It's so fascinating that we have built a reputation that only certain people get in. When Jesus comes to set us free, he sets us free to share with others this powerful message. I, I want to close with one thing really quickly. I know I'm going long for a communion sermon. Um, uh, on January 1st, uh, 1863, uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln um, uh, penned the proclamation 
uh, of emancipation, which made official and came into law that um, all slaves in the United States were free. But you know the story. Uh, Major uh, General uh, Gordon Granger, on June 19th of 1865, sailed into Galveston Bay with nearly 2,000 Union soldiers with him and proclaimed in Galveston that all the slaves in Texas were free. That was a year and a half after they were legally set free by the documents. For 18 plus months, people who were free lived as slaves. And even after the general order, some slave masters still withheld the information from their slaves, holding them as slaves just through one more harvest season. You would not be surprised if you found out that Major General George Granger became extremely unpopular among many people in the state of Texas. That his um, responsibilities over the District of Texas only lasted less than two months before he was blackballed and sent to New Mexico. It was interesting. How do people receive the message of freedom? A lot of different ways. But I think for us, sometimes we live like we're still enslaved when Jesus has already proclaimed that we're free. Advent is the season of the year that we get ready to celebrate the fact that Jesus was sent to us to set us free. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.